0: Well, it would appear that uh, my announcement last week that winter had come was premature. (laughs) Apparently, we're back in summer again. I decided to reinstall my window air conditioner. (laughs) 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 Uh, God is good, isn't He? It's beautiful outside. We have a beautiful, uh, beautiful time of worship this morning. Let's continue that attitude of worship as we just seek God's... God's Word, God's Spirit to guide us and lead us, speak to us through His Word. The Lord would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen? Amen. Well, as we continue, if you have your Bibles with you, open up to the book of Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be finishing up chapter 3. Is Paul has been dealing with and we've been talking about the relationship between the law and grace. And you remember we've been, we've talked about the fact that it, it sneaks up on you, this attitude of of being legalistic. You know, we all come to the Lord the same way, man. We come to the Lord broken. Lord, save me. And God reaches down and bestows upon us that that grace. And then as we grow, as we want to, to, to grow closer to the Lord, legalism tends to creep in. We start developing rules and regulations. Hey, every one of us who ever grew up in a church, grew up, one point or another having rules and regulations this is what you do if you're a christian and if you don't do this we start to get the idea that god loves us less or that god's mad at us or that god is punishing us and as we look at scripture what we discover is when jesus christ came he bore that punishment on the cross every bit that when he was there in that place, when God when God uh, reached down and, and made for him, that he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, he bore upon him all the punishment that would ever be due us. And when we consider that, when we come to that place, that we truly understand the grace of God, this is how it ought to work in our life. Our response to him because of the love that he has shown us is to respond in obedience to Him. My obedience does not earn His love. God's love has already been poured out. If you think that there's some treasure in heaven that was greater than His Son, you're mistaken. There was no greater treasure than that. He has already freely given us all things. And truly, if we study the book of Ephesians, we'll see that we have already received every spiritual blessing in Christ. If you and I are are the body of Christ, as the scripture teaches us, where's the body of Christ today? In heaven with the Lord. If you and I are the body of Christ, how does the Lord look upon his son? He looks upon him as being completely perfect, righteous. We have to realize that that's the way God sees us. Even though... We are not perfect or righteous. And when we understand that that's the way God sees us, that's how God looks at us. Our response then is, man, I want to do the things God calls me to do. I want to follow his word. I want to obey him. I want to walk with him. I want to live a life of equal weight to the sacrifice he gave to me. But the response, the tricky part is the response has to be a response of love, not because we think we're earning something. And see, that's what Paul's writing in the, in the book of Galatians. It's not about earning salvation or earning righteousness or, or even earning spirituality. It's about responding to God in love. So when I refuse to obey... I, though I have received all that God had to give, I'm withholding from him his just due. Love from me for what he has done for me. It changes my attitude in regard to obeying God's word. But looking at the teachings that God gives and following the concepts that the Lord lays out for us. Now, as Paul's building on this concept, building on this idea that Paul could look at his life and say, you know, everything that I've ever done, everything that I've ever gained is worthless compared to him. And as he saw that, as he saw the the worthlessness of of all the the chasing our tails that we do in this world, he said, there's one thing that matters, one thing that lasts, and that's whatever I do for him. What I give to him. That's, That's my obedience to his word that's my obedience to to the law to what the Lord lays out for me that's my response in love not to earn but to just say yes Lord I want to be like you I want to follow your example well Paul as he builds on this idea he begins in verse 15 of chapter 3 he says brethren I speak in the manner of men. He says, here's an argument I'm going to give you. Let's look at the world of mankind and the promises that men make to one another. He says, though it is only a man's covenant, but yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. He says, listen, if we have a a covenant in the world, for example, a good example, that would be to look at a will. If someone writes out a will, this is their last will and testament that's not that, That's not going to be changed. Once it's confirmed, that's how it is. Someone doesn't come along later on and say, you know, I think we should change this, and we should change that, and we should alter this, and we should alter that. And, and Paul's argument is, if we don't do this in the world of man, why do we think we ought to do it in the world of God? Why do we think we ought to take God's covenant and change it? Twist it. Add something to it or... Or take something away. In the world of men we don't do that. He says I speak in the manner of men. Now listen. To Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say and to seeds as of many. But as of one and to your seed. The seed of Abraham. We wonder who is the seed of Abraham. Does the Bible tell us who is the seed of Abraham? The seed is Christ. The seed. The seed ought to remind us, as soon as we hear that phrase, we ought to say, you know, it's good Bible students, we ought to say, man, I remember that phrase from Genesis chapter 3, about verse 15, when when Adam and Eve were standing in the garden after they had fallen, and God prophesied over them all. And he said to the the serpent, as he's telling him he's going to crawl around on his belly, he looks over at the woman and he says, the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. And the head of the serpent will bruise his heel. Immediately, Eve understood the seed. The seed, that's got to be a child. But it's interesting that God said it would be the seed of the woman, not of the man. Why? What is passed down from man to man to man to man? Sin. From Adam, from that point, everyone born was born in the in the sin nature just as adam was but god said the seed of the woman he's going to destroy the serpent satan he's going to wipe him out and ever since from that moment guys from the beginning from when there was just two people on the face of the earth they began to share and tell stories about a child that would be born a virgin. That would be the seed of God that would destroy the power of the enemy. And then later on, you and I, we go to school and we, and we study about the world religions. And you know what you find out? That story is in every culture. All over the place. Isn't that what you would expect? If everything began with... One man and one woman, and that was the word that God gave unto them. It got distorted in other cultures, in one culture it held true. What culture? Jewish culture? Why? Because God gave unto them the oracles of God to preserve the truth, the seed. Then later on, we meet Abraham. and Abraham, he's struggling. he don't have no kids. You don't have any children. And God has already told him, Oh, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to pour out such blessing. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you a nation. I'm even going to give you a son. And before Abraham ever saw any of that take place, the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by grace before the law ever came. How were people saved in the Old Testament? same way they're saved today by faith because of the grace of God free gift bestowed upon the undeserving looking forward to a sacrifice in fact later on as the law comes as the law is, is introduced what did God introduce with the law? a sacrificial system didn't he? why? because on the, remember on the day that it came hadn't they already broke it? So God gave him a sacrificial system pointing to an innocent death that would take away the sin of the world. Pointing to the seed. The seed of Abraham. The seed of the woman. The promise of Messiah. The one that would come. And now Paul says, listen, the promise was given to Abraham and his seed. The two people involved. Who can change that promise? I suppose Abraham or Jesus Christ. What about you and I? Can we change it? Can we say, no, that's not what it is. No, 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 you gotta do this and you gotta do that and you gotta do the other thing. No, the Bible says, listen, even in the covenant of men, we don't change somebody else's promise. It's those two that can change it. And ultimately, the scripture's gonna declare it's gonna come down to God. Listen, he says in verse 17, and this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant which was confirmed before by God, that it should make the promise Of no effect. It cannot be annulled because it was confirmed by God in Christ. Though it should be made, or or that it should make the promise of no effect. 430 years later, somebody's got their math wrong. I mean, from the time of Abraham, it's 635 years to to the coming of the law. Surely they know that. I mean, I can go back to Genesis and count. I wonder why he said 430 years. It's interesting because... Every once in a while, God puts something in Scripture to say, Hey, are you paying attention? Why did I say that? And rather than, what some people do is they look and they go, Oh, you know, the Bible's full of contradictions. I know there's contradictions. They throw it away, and they never look to see why. Why did he say 430 years? Because 430 years before the law, that covenant was given again to a fellow named Jacob. Right as Jacob was entering into Egypt, God said, the promise that I've given to Abraham, to Isaac, I'm also given to you, Jacob. The same promise. And 430 years after that comes the law. See, God puts things in his word to say, guys, guys, dig in. Open it up, tear it up, dive in, figure out these questions. Get a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God because the Word of God is true and living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It is absolute truth. All the time. Absolute truth. He says 430 years later, there was another agreement, another covenant. That was a covenant with Moses. That was a covenant with Moses and God. Where the law came, where the law comes. Now, the Lord is saying through Paul, that promise doesn't annul the one before it. It doesn't erase it. It doesn't say it's not there. It's not existing. And then he goes on to tell us, look, it was confirmed by God. Here's how you see it. Guys, if we go back in Genesis chapter 15, we'll see where that promise was made. And when that promise was made, we'll see where Abraham said he believed God. And God said, well, then, Abraham, you're right before me. You're justified. You are being covered with my righteousness just because you believe. And then he says, and this is how we'll. I'm going to show you. I want you to prepare the, to cut covenant. Cut covenant. They take all these animals and they cut them in half. And they put half of each animal on either side of a walkway. And the two parties that made the covenant would walk in the midst of that and make their promise to one another. I promise. Basically they're saying, if I don't keep up my side of the bargain, then I'll be like one of these animals cut in two. But you remember the story, Abraham cut them all in two. And then he was waiting for the Lord to come. And while he was waiting, he was shooing away, you know, the flies. Oh, man. The flies are everywhere. Do you guys have flies? Is it just me? I should shower more. Is that what you're telling me? (laughs) Flies. Anyways, he's shooing away all these pests. I won't digress into flies. He's shooing away the pests. He wears himself out, shooing away all those things, and he falls down and falls asleep. And when he falls asleep, you know who shows up? God. And he passes through the middle alone. And he says to Abraham, I will do this. Me. God made the covenant. It didn't depend on Abraham's performance. It depended on God's ability to save. Aren't you glad about that? That your salvation does not depend on you, but on God's ability to save you? If it depended on you, folks would be in trouble. We would be in trouble if it depended on me and the works that I do, on my performance... But God said to Abraham, Abraham, it's not you, it's me. God passed through as this smoking lantern. He gave Abraham a vision. And he said, it's all me, brother. It's all me. I will. That was an everlasting covenant. An everlasting promise made by God to Abraham and to his seed. Who is the Christ. That it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, then it's no longer promise. If the inheritance is about performance, then it's not a promise. It's not God saying, I'm going to do this. It's us saying, we're going to do it. Don't worry about that, God. I got this. How often has, have you said that? And how well has that worked for you? Don't worry about this, God. I got this handled. Well, oh, I can do this. I can do this. Oftentimes, guys, we, we're, as we're trying to walk a righteous life before God, we'll say, oh yeah, I got this handled or that handled. The Bible says, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Because we'll think we got it handled. And the next thing we know, we're on the ground, we're tripped, we've fallen. But you see, the promises of a promise. It's God saying, I will, not you do, then I will. God just said, I will. I will accomplish this. I will do the work. I am going to make you right. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So if that's the case, if the law doesn't save, if the law doesn't perfect, if the law doesn't make us righteous, then why is it here? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because they asked that question in the next verse. It says, what purpose then does the law serve? What does the law serve? Well, let's look at what we've seen so far about the law. First, we've seen that the law is temporary. It's not permanent. It was never intended to be permanent. The next thing we see is that the the law requires a mediator. It requires somebody else to give it. And then finally, we, we come to understand that the law doesn't have the ability to give life. So as we as we understand these things, Paul's going to bring them up again as we go through. As we understand these things, we ask the question, well, what's the purpose? He says in verse 19, it was added because of transgressions. The promise was made, but people still sin. But here's the problem, guys. They didn't know it. They didn't understand it. In fact, in the book of Romans, Paul says, you can't be held accountable for not knowing what you don't know. You're accountable for what you do know, not for what you don't know. So God said, I need to give the law to them so that they understand the requirement. Because if you don't know, then what do you need salvation for? What do I need that for? It's like this. We're all getting on a plane, we're going to go on a trip together. And as we climb up on that plane, we climb in. There's a fella in there passing out parachutes. What do I need this for? It's going to make some questions arise. Now, having spent time in the Marine Corps and seeing the Marine Corps do such things as this, they don't explain everything to you all the time. They just hand it to you. And there is always, always someone who says, I don't need this. And they leave it behind. Or they put it under their chair, forget where it's at. They don't understand the value of it. But then, when the fellow comes on a loudspeaker and says, Hey, I just want to let everybody know we're crashing the plane. We wanted to get rid of this one, but it's a great opportunity for us to practice a jump. So grab those parachutes we gave you. Uh, I didn't know I needed that. But you see, as soon as the announcement came, we're crashing the plane. Now you understood you had a need of a parachute. Right? Now, if I had said to you in the beginning, hey, when you get on this plane, we're crashing it. So here's a parachute. You're going to grab a hold of that and say, oh man, this is important. Don't you understand? That's what the law does. That's what the law does. It was given because of sin. It was given to say, hey, this is acting or behaving in this way is a direct contradiction to who God is and what God's about. And the Bible says, here's the requirement. If you want to live with God forever, the requirement is perfection. You've got to be perfect. And just so you know what you're up against, here's the law. Here's the law. After you lie once, what does that make you? A liar. Forever? Yeah. How many times you got to do it before it counts? Well, what if I steal? What does that make me? A thief. Huh. But you know, Jesus Christ himself, when he came, he expounded on the law, didn't he? Because a lot of people, they all go like this. They go, "I'm I'm, I'm a good person. I never killed anybody. Really? Did you you hear the words of Jesus? He said, if you have been angry at your brother, you committed murder. Anybody ever been angry at your brother? The only way you can say no is if you don't have one. (laughs) So before you start thinking, oh, no, not me. Oh, yeah, brother. If you had a brother, you were mad at your brother. The Bible also goes on, because people will always go to the two biggies. Jesus knew they would go to the two biggies. They would say, I have never committed murder, and I have never cheated on anyone. The Bible says, if you've looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. If you've ever lied, you're a liar. If you ever stole, you're a thief. If you've ever looked at someone or something and wanted it, you're covetous. If you've ever been angry at someone, you've committed murder. How many of us get out of here saying, I keep the law? Woo-hoo! It always scares me, folks, when someone says to me, Yeah, but, you know, I'm not really into the the whole church scene. I kind of get that. And I'm not really into religion, and I kind of get that, because religion means to bind up. But then when they say, I'm a good person, we got a problem. Because the Bible says... How many are good? None. See, we don't even have to figure. We don't have to have math. We don't have to divide and say like 10% of the population is good. No, we don't have to do that. God said how many? None. None in the Greek means? None. You guys are good. You're like Greek scholars already. No one, guys, no one is right according to the law. So what did the law do? The law was given because of transgression. Once you look at the law, you realize, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. So it was given because of transgression, but here's where we see that it was temporary. Look at the next phrase. Till the seed should come. You ever realize that before? The law was given until the seed would come. And we already told you who the seed was, right? The seed is Christ. When Christ came, he fulfilled the law. The law is finished. Because if I have to be perfect by the law, I'm in trouble. We've already discussed it. Don't make me go back over it again. (laughs) I'm in trouble. But in Christ Jesus, we sang the song, in Christ I am free. I'm not guilty. Even though I know I'm guilty, Christ has borne my shame, my guilt. He paid a price. He set me free. He's the guy who when they said, this, this plane is going down, he said, don't worry about it, brother. I got this one. And he took care of it. He took care of it. The law was given first for transgressions and temporarily until Christ came to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. What do you mean by the hand of a mediator? Listen, the law was given from God. Originally, God stands on Mount Sinai and He speaks the Ten Commandments. You remember what the people do? They freak out. What would we do if God stood up and started speaking to us? Everywhere in the Bible where God stands in front of somebody and speaks to them, they freak out. If you think you're going to be the first person never to freak out standing before God. uh, Sorry. It's not going to work out that way. The people are like, oh, this is too much for us. Moses, you go talk to God and tell us what God said. So then what happened? Moses went and talked to God. He received the law. You guys all seen the movie, haven't you? He comes down with the two stone tablets, right? The law was given through a mediator. God Gave it, passed down to Moses, passed down to the people. It wasn't just us and God. So it's inferior already. It's inferior already because it was come through the hand of a mediator. Now listen, in verse 20 he says, Now a mediator does not mediate for one. If you're having a one-on-one, we don't need a mediator, right? It's just you and me, we're talking. What do we need a mediator for? Unless, you know, you speak Chinese and I don't. So if there's one-on-one, there's no mediator. How did God give the promise to Abraham? One-on-one. How did he give the promise to Jesus Christ, his son? One-on-one. Direct line, direct path to God. Do not pass, go, collect $200 straight to him, straight to God. So he's saying, listen, the law is inferior because it goes through from God, through angels, to Moses, to the children of Israel, to us. But this promise, it was a direct line. God made the promise. Who else did it depend on? Nobody else. Didn't need a mediator. It was just God. And God is able. Do you believe that God is able? God is able. If God is able, he's able to accomplish this work, this requirement. And so he wants us to realize, hey, it's not mediated, it's not dependent on you, God's one; God's going to take care of it. Is the law then against the promises of God? Well, then do they contradict each other? That's the next question. <coughs> Why was the law given? And if the law doesn't save, then, then don't they contradict each other? No. Where in the word of God did they ever say that the law had come to save? It doesn't say it. The law complements, not contradicts. They work together. Understanding sin. I need the law to understand sin, don't I? I gotta under- If you come to somebody and you say, Hey man, you have a relationship with God. No, I'm a pretty good person. How are you going to get them to believe they're not a good person? They've got to come face to face with the law, don't they? The righteous requirement of God. If they don't understand the righteous requirement of God... Do they think they need a Savior? No, they say, I'm good. That's all for you guys. I'm good. But when they understand the righteous requirement, does that change? Well, at least they've been given an informed understanding of this is God's requirement. God requires perfection. Have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever done any of these things? If you have, you're guilty. The Bible says everyone's guilty. But good news, Jesus Christ, by faith in Him makes you righteous. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you are a child of God. So the law complements. It helps people understand. Well, what else? Is it, is it, is it something that, that contradicts? No, certainly not. For if there had, had been a law given which would have given life, righteousness would have been by the law. If you could be made right by the law... Then God did not answer the prayer of his son in the Garden of Gethsemane. You remember what Jesus prayed? Father to the Son. If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Now you want to say you can be made righteous by the law? God didn't tell his son, yeah, there's one other way. Forget about this plan. If righteousness could come by the law, then God would have answered that prayer of his son. He didn't answer that prayer of his son. He said, the the, the son goes on to pray, nevertheless, what? Not my will, but yours be done. Yours be done. God, I'm going to go all the way. All the way to the cross. All the way to bring salvation. All the way. So can the law give life? It can't. All the law gives you is frustration. Frustration. If you try to live your life by the law, and you're sincere, you should be frustrated. Why? Because you can't keep it. Oh no, I do a pretty good job. Really? Man. The Apostle Paul himself, who at one time said, I am above reproach in in consideration of the law. In Romans chapter 7 said, that the law woke up in me and, and accused me, convicted me. And sentenced me to death. And he said, who can save me from this body of death? The next verse says, I thank God. He delivers me from the body of death. And then we have that great verse, Romans chapter 8 verse 1. For there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus Christ upon you. Upon you. That's what he's laying out for us here, guys. Hey, what's the deal? What is it that it did? Can the law give life? If the law does not give life, if the law does not give life, but it compliments, what's it do? It condemns. The law condemns. The law shows my guilt. It's like a mirror, right? We've all heard that. If I go and look in a mirror, and I see in the mirror that my face is dirty... Should I climb up on the counter and rub my face on the mirror? Is that how we make it clean? That's like taking the law who shows me I'm guilty and saying, oh, I'll just keep the law and be made right. No, it doesn't do that. It shows the dirt. It's the grace of Jesus Christ that makes us clean, that washes us white as snow, that cleans us. But the Scripture has confined All under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe so the Bible the word the law lays out for us what all under sin that's why all under sin so that was the purpose just so that the Bible could say everybody's dirty rotten lousy sinner The purpose was not only to say all are confined under sin, but that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who what? Believe. You'll notice it doesn't say only to a few. Only to the elect. Only to the ones who wear suits. Only to the guys with the right kind of haircuts. Only if you have no facial hair, only if you wear all the right things. What's the the requirement on those who believe? We talked about that last week, right? What belief is. What does it mean to believe? It means to entrust your weight into, to put your weight into him. Not just to consent and say, I believe that God exists. Great. James said the, the the demons believe that and they're not saved. To believe means to put your weight in to Jesus Christ. To be in Christ Jesus. To be in Him means I placed myself in His hands. I believe. That's it. That's it. In Romans, the Lord says, if you confess with your mouth and what? Believe in your heart, you will be saved. Nothing about Keeping the law, being circumcised, being baptized, being any of those things are a requirement for salvation. It says simply, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. And you're saved. You're His. The Bible, the Word, the law shows us that we are all under sin so that we can come to faith in Jesus Christ on all or for all who believe. And how do they receive it? Does it say they receive it by good works? It says it's a gift, doesn't it? It says it's given to them. Given. Freely we have received. What does the scripture tell us to do? Freely give. Unfortunately, some people have freely received and then they build up a whole list of rules. This is what you got to do, and this is how you got to follow it. And if you do all these things, then you're a Christian. But the Bible doesn't teach that anywhere. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, and you're saved. But it does say, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. You can offer lip service, right? It's got to be real. It's got to be real. And when is it real? When I understand I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I can't do this on my own. I shared my testimony here before. Maybe for those who don't know, I was an adulterer over and over and over until the Lord slapped me in the face with HIV. That has a way of waking you up. When the Lord did that, there was nothing I could do. There's no pill to take. What do, I, what do I say to my wife to make that go away? There ain't nothing. How do you put back the pieces of your marriage? How do you put back your family? What, what, if, what if my unborn child that my wife was carrying at the time, well, what if he has to pay for my sin? What's his future look like? How do you solve all that? The Word of God shows... That I am under sin. But Jesus Christ said, I came to give you life. I surrendered. I surrendered my life to Him. Whatever it is. I didn't surrender so that God would heal me. I didn't surrender so that my wife wouldn't die. I didn't surrender so that my child wouldn't die. I surrendered because there's nothing I can do. I come to the end of me. I can't fix this on my own I give up. Now God can meet me there. And he says, just one phrase. Just whispers one phrase in my ear. I am able. Do you believe? I believe. A year later... We get a letter from the Marine Corps. We don't really know what happened, sir, but uh, you were positive for HIV on this date. As of today, you are negative. The doctors, when they delivered my oldest boy, J.C., they were wearing uh, astronaut suit. Because you get that blood on you and, you know, you're going to die and nobody wants to die, so. Kathy couldn't breastfeed; had to bottle feed him because they thought that the virus would pass through her, and so they tested Kathy and the baby. They were negative. Listen, I got a free pass. You know, there's a lot of people that don't get a free pass. You know that? There's a lot of people that that we. I remember sitting at the side of a bed and crying out to God, God heal, man, you healed me, heal, touch. Okay. So listen, I was saying, I was was at this bed, dear, dear friends of ours, and praying. And God said the same thing to me. Do you believe I am able? Yes, Lord, I believe. And then he took her. Are you okay with that? I had to think about that. I don't know if I'm okay with that, God. That doesn't really fit in my plans. I mean, we used to have so much fun together, and we laughed and we played, and it was great. Our families were so close. I can't believe that this is your will. And then I remember his son, right? If there be any other way, if not, your will be done. They got a phone call from a from a frantic father and mother who had just run over their baby with the truck. And rush down into the hospital, and we're in the room, and the baby's right over there on the bed, and they're working on the baby, and they they just got the baby's heart beating again, and they're they're hoping they're gonna be able to transfer the baby over to, to Loma Linda, which is a great children's hospital, and we're praying, Lord God. I know, Father, that you are able to raise this baby up, to heal this baby, that everything will be okay. And God says it again Do you believe I am able? I believe you are able. And the Lord took her. And I hear the prayer of Jesus again. If there be any other way. But if not. Your will be done. Are you okay with that? God knows what he's doing. I don't. But I believe. If I didn't believe, what hope do I have to offer? What hope do I have to give a weeping husband whose wife just died? What hope do I have to give a a father and mother who, who just killed their baby? If this is all there is, what do you have to give? Paul says, if this is all there is, let's eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die. There's no purpose. There's no reason for life. But God's word says there is a reason. There is a purpose. And God says, when your little one or your wife or your friend or your family member, when they come to me, they come to my arms, I am able to save Listen, at the end of all this, guys, when we're at the end this is all over and we stand before God, you will be happy God is able. As you look at that great multitude standing behind him that you thought, that I thought were lost. And God just will say to you, as he said to me, Do you believe I am able? It doesn't depend on us. It depends on him, and he is worthy of the faith, the trust, and our hope. Yeah. Nothing else is. And that's what he's laying out for us. That's what he's telling us, guys. There, this is what I do. Everyone's under sin, but I am able to save everyone who believes. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. What was the Lord? It was our the, the law was our <laughs> Lord, that's yes, I know. Sometimes you you hope you can get past one of those. But then you look around and you see certain people, Tina, who are repeating to their husband while they're laughing, He said, Lord. Sometimes you just can't get it back. Okay. But listen, listen. (laughs) I digress yet again. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. The law was our guardian. Guardian. In fact, he's going to build on that idea. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Remember, the law was temporary until who came? Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came, the law wasn't necessary anymore. The law shows our sin. Jesus Christ shows us salvation. That's what his name means. God is salvation. Yeshua. Yeshua. God is salvation. He is our Savior. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. How are we made right with God? By faith in Him. Do you believe He is able? That's the only question you have to answer. Do you believe he is able? Listen, the law is our pedagogos. That's what it means, a tutor. The pedagogos was a slave that was hired by the family to watch over the children. I think this is not such a bad idea. They hired this slave, and from the time, from the time the child was about six until he would be adopted into the family, the pedagogos watched over him, disciplined him, kept him out of trouble, Taught them morality. Wherever the kids went, the pedagogos was there. The Lord says that's what the law did. It teaches us. It disciplines us. It helps us to realize the requirements of God so that we can realize, we can experience faith in Jesus Christ saves us all. It brings us to Christ. And we become justified. Remember what justified means. Just as if I never done it. It Makes me right with God. But after faith has come, we don't need the the tutor. After faith, we don't need the law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What is it that the law could not do? The law couldn't make us heirs. It couldn't make us adopted sons and daughters of God. But if you are in Christ Jesus, if you believe he is able, you're his, man. You're his. You're one of his kids. You're one of his sons. For you are all sons of God through faith, through faith, not through the law, not through works, because you believe he is able. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You notice he didn't say, as many of you has been baptized into water. That's what we're going to do later on today. What is water baptism? It's an outward symbol of something that's already taken place on the inside. We are baptized into the body of Christ. We put our faith. When we say, I believe you are able... And if it doesn't work out my way, then nevertheless, your will be done. I believe you are able. At that moment, I have been baptized into the body of Christ. By the spirit of the living God who comes to live inside of me. And how do we give that example? In the baptismal. Because once this is who I was. But... Galatians chapter 2 told us, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we go under the water and we die. Not really. I know some people worried about their baptism today. You don't really die in baptism, but the symbol is, I'm buried and what? Rise again. What's buried? The old life, the old me. What comes up? A new creation created in Christ Jesus. Did that baptism save me? No. What's a baptism do? It shows me what's already happened by the Spirit in my life. Why do we do it? Because Jesus said, be baptized. Let other people see. Let other people know that you believe I am able. That they see, that they know this outward sign of an inward change, it has occurred. So as many as been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. If I put on Christ, am I still me? Look at it like this. Later on today, we're going to go eat turkey. When you eat that turkey, where is it going to be? In you. Is it still going to look like Turkey. It's going to look like you because the turkey is where in you doesn't look like a turkey anymore now i know ladies are thinking yeah but it goes places (laughs) that's not the same thing the example here is when we put our faith and trust in jesus christ we're baptized into his body if i can live my life like there's nothing different then I have to question whether or not I believe he is able. Because if I believe he is able, I'm dead to me and alive to him. I'm dead to me and alive to him. I thank God I'm not who I was. And I thank God I'm not yet what I will be. God's still doing a work. But the work is whose? His. What's my job? I just surrender. I just surrender and God does the work. It as many who, who are in Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither, listen, Jew, nor Greek, slave, nor free, male, nor female. What does that mean? There is no division anymore. You realize how long ago this was written, right? Especially for the ladies. What does that have to do with anything? Because in every society on earth, Women had no rights. But the word of God said two thousand years ago, there's no male or female, no slave or free. Before God, we are all equal. We developed this, this document in our nation that said that we believe God created, there's not not that man evolved. God created all of us with unalienable rights. Where did that all come from? The Word of God. It all came from the Word of God. We are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. If you believe that promise God gave to Abraham... That he believed and God saved him, that's the same way God saves you. How were they saved in the Old Testament? By faith, in grace, a gift of God. How are they saved today? Same way. Same way. Paul wants us to understand, Paul wants us to realize that we gotta be careful, we gotta be diligent. That we don't start getting this idea that we got to start following some kind of special steps. And if we do those steps, now you're more righteous. No, brother, the Bible told us we're all sinners. God makes us righteous. So I want to be close to Him. Whatever it takes to be close to Him, that's what I want to do. I want to make God central. I want to make God central. So, one question on your, on your heart and in your mind today, I hope. Do you believe... God is able. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. As we prepare our hearts to enter into a time of communion, and as the worship team comes on up and, and we prepare to, to, to enter a time of worship, let's just go before the Lord, not worrying about anything else. The great news is <clears throat> we get turkey after this. You gotta have to go nowhere To get food, you don't have to worry about there's already too many people there. Jackie talked too long again. None of that matters. We got turkey. You don't have to go anywhere. This is a full service shop, brother. You come here from in the door to out the door. We can take care of it all today. But we we have a question to answer in our hearts. You're, You're the only one who can answer it. You're the only one who can provide that answer. So let's seek God's face. And let's answer that question once and for all. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you this morning, Father, being moved by the Spirit. Yes, Lord. Father, we ask, Lord Jesus, God, that you would, Father, by your Spirit, just confirm in our hearts, Lord Jesus, as you whisper that same phrase in every man and woman's ear, do you believe I am able? God, may we believe. Not only lip service. Anybody can do that. Lord God, let it be real. Let us look at ourselves in the shadow of the law and realize I cannot have a relationship with God any other way but then trusting him, then believing him. Lord God, you said I have exalted my word above all my name. You hold your word to be a solemn promise. And you say that solemn promise only depends on you, not on me. I just have to believe. Father God, may we all come to that place. May we all enter in to that time. May we say, I believe you are able And even if it doesn't go my way, it's not about my will, it's about yours. I believe you are able. Father, we ask that your spirit would move in this place. And if anyone doesn't have that relationship with you, Father, that they would take An opportunity to come to that place. We're going to come to the Lord's table. We're going to celebrate what you've done for us, the the gift that you've given us. But before we can come to the Lord's table, we got to believe. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if there's anybody here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they want to answer the question, would you just slip up your hand? Nobody's looking around. Just between you and God. If there's anybody here. Take that step. And know him. Father as we prepare our hearts. We ask Jesus that you would give unto us. An understanding of what it cost you. The body and the blood that you shed. Father, your word declares that if there is something in my heart that I have against my brother, I'm supposed to deal with that, Lord. So, Father, search us, know us, try us. If there be any wicked way in us, cleanse it and lead us in the path of righteousness. Father, prepare our hearts as we look to you in this time of communion. In Jesus' name, amen. As the communion trays are passed, I invite you to go ahead and take the cup and the bread and hold on to it. And we'll partake of it together.